Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're going to have a little bit of a look back at Rebels Season 2, kind of from start to finish, and talk about where the season started and where it ended and some of the things that happened in the middle, otherwise known as a season of television. But first, a quick (laughs) announcement. William, why don't you tell us about that? Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, so as we all expected, Dave Filoni will be at Star Wars Celebration Europe this July, and uh, they're bringing the first two episodes of Season 3 with them, and so they'll be screening those for fans. Uh, I'm sure these will be very, very exciting. There's some cool rumors we're going to be talking about uh, at the the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. We want to make sure that if you you don't want to hear those, uh, you can can stop listening early. But... uh, but yeah, um, not much to say aside from the fact that, yes, Filoni will be doing a panel and the usual episode premiere now, season premiere. So uh, if you're going to Celebration Europe, if you're one of the lucky ones, highly recommend checking it out. Um, I'm trying to see if I can make it to Celebration Europe, but at this point, there's a lot going on, so uh, I wasn't planning on it. Um, but a part of me still wants to try to make it happen. Yeah, but it might be easier just to try and make the Orlando one next year. It's going yes. to be harder this year because right now it's so close. Next year, at least, it's hopefully. Well, safe. it would be. It would be both. It yeah. Would be both. Oh, you lucky dog! <laughs> you lucky, no, but, lucky dog! Because uh, I am obsessed and crazy. Um, well, so so are we. We do a podcast, but <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Uh, but you know, we're here to talk about the season two, as Stephen mentioned, and. Um, Season two started out, if you guys remember, with the premiere of Siege of Lothal at Celebration uh, or uh, Celebration Anaheim last mm-hmm. year. Uh, we were all in the room for that. You remember that, guys? Yes, that we such were. A great. That was, that was almost, what, almost over a year ago now, I think. Right? Uh, so it was last so April? It was... Yeah, yeah, it was last April. The, the episode hmm. officially premiered on June 20th uh, of last year. Um, but yeah, it was, it was last April, I believe. So uh, quite, but it was time ago. That was, that was so much fun. So much fun. It's hard to believe it's already been over a year since we saw that. Um, I, I have to wonder, do you guys think before we dive into reviewing the season, I think we'll start with Siege of Lothal. Do you think they're going to air this episode on TV early again, or are they going to wait until, um, until you know the October time frame. Well, I have to say that since I'm not able to be there this time, I really hope we get to see it early. I'd agree Me with too. Steven, I'm, but I'm. I would think it's probably in their better interest to have it air with the regular episodes instead of airing it early. Because wasn't there? Didn't it seem a little. If they aired it early last time, didn't it seem a little flat before you got the well, actual, the actual episodes rolling. It was a great episode, mm-hmm. but. Um, the gap was definitely odd. And I know yeah. a, a few people, you know, including a friend of mine who started watching season two, not knowing about Siege of Lothal. And so he gets into it and he's like, you know, they, they unveiled Ahsoka at the end of season one. 
season two starts and it's just everyone's chatting with Ahsoka as like nothing as if nothing happened. It's mm. like it's kind of anticlimactic. I'm like, oh no no, that's because you missed a whole two you know two part episode uh, that aired over the summer. So, um, you know, maybe they can incorporate it in the season pass better or something next time. Um, but I mean, I hope they wait to see it early for those who don't get to go to Celebration Europe. But uh, either way, it should be exciting. So, Siege of Lothal. Wow. Um, let's go back. This was uh, this was. This episode, so they, they had Darth Vader return with James Earl Jones. Yeah. I believe prior to this, we'd only we'd seen Darth Vader in. Uh, he shows up very briefly, he, I believe, at the end of the previous season. Right? No, it was in. Um, I believe he actually showed up in. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. I think you're um, right. He might have. This is like now a year and a half ago. I think you're right. I think he did yeah. show up briefly. Um, I know he was added to the season one premiere, the special. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true. ABC. Um, oh, that's right. Family or something, or just ABC, uh, ABC. For lack of a better word. Version of the episode. And I think he was then out of it until the end of the season. I'm actually looking through the show notes right now to find out if I can find out when he was. Yeah, but this, but then you know, once Darth Vader premiered, they used him very sparingly, but he did have multiple appearances throughout the season at that mm. point. Uh, he would appear talking to the, you know, the fifth brother and the seventh sister a couple of times and um, to, to various people in, uh, in the Empire. Um, we got the great moment in this episode where Ahsoka and Vader, they don't come face to face yet. That That's obviously saved for the end of the season. But they do. Um, uh, they they're in the ship. They're they aware of each presence. other's presence. Correct. Exactly. And that was such a chilling moment, a great mm-hmm. moment in the show. But I have to say one thing: the way they used Vader this season was the best because you really didn't want to throw him out there. He is the big bad villain, but to put him out there compared to the the Inquisitors, it, it worked having him mm-hmm. this way. Because you can't th- just throw him out there and have him in every single episode because then you've got – he's not going to be as menacing if he's in every single episode because you're going to have to see him like a general grievous to where he's always going to be defeated or he's always going to be yeah. running away. And you can't do that with Vader. Mm-hmm. They use no, him you perfectly cannot. this season. No, you can't. And Siege of Lothal did an awesome job of, one, introducing Vader as this kind of big powerhouse. And it serves as kind of the – uh, the kickoff for the season as well, obviously. You know, the rebels are kicked off of Lothal because mm-hmm. Vader is just that good, if you will. And it sets up the rest of the season nicely with the rebels on the run, with the uh, with the rest of the fleet. I should say the crew of the ghost on the run with the rebel fleet, to be more accurate. Um, but it, did, it just did an awesome job of kicking the season off. Just yeah, we, we also got the death of uh, Minister Maketh Tua mm-hmm. in the episode. Yeah. Um, Quickly killed her off. She's a fairly large presence in season one, and uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was it was a really really well done episode, uh, a great way to kick off the season, especially if you you know to watch it. Um, yeah. We got that showdown between Vader and Kanan and Ezra. Um, if you remember that mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. fantastic moment, and uh, this is also when Kanan introduces Ezra to the concept of the Sith. Before that, he had no idea what the Sith even were, uh, which ends up being a fairly big theme in this season. 
I was, was going to say, I was actually a little surprised because Siege of the Thal brings up this kind of playing with Ezra and the dark side. And then it really doesn't get touched, I'd say, until uh, the last couple of episodes, particularly Shroud of Darkness. Mm-hmm. I expected Ezra's uh, slow descent into the dark side to be a season-long event. And it ended up kind of being like, oh, okay, we're going to put this on hold, essentially, until season three. Well, uh, I, I think... I think that's. I don't know if they quite put it on hold the whole time. Uh, hold I, is I, I, there, the right there were word. definitely, but but you're you're right. I mean, it was it was kind of more in the background, right? There were definitely exactly. moments where you could see some of the you know some of those those darker pieces coming out. Mm-hmm. But it, you're right; it wasn't necessarily in the forefront until the very end, which in some ways kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I feel like though that's they 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 kind of followed that pattern for most of the season, though they had the they had the big opening, they had. Uh, the the big end, obviously, and and a couple key moments throughout the the middle of the season, but for the most part, this season was very standalone, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is good because they were able to develop the characters and get some backstory. They weren't bad episodes, but I felt like well, in many cases you could watch them in any order and it wouldn't really matter. Yeah, you know, it's all that as much. A, as I've been looking at kind of the list of episodes as we you know have been talking about them. There's a definite pattern where you have a big kickoff episode, uh, Siege of Lothal for the first half of the season, and then the second half kind of kicks off with a princess on Lothal. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of dive into a bunch of kind of individual stories. So you get, you know, things like Wings of the Master or Blood Sisters that are these deep, these episodes that are very focused on a singular character. And then it eventually leads up into something that's supposed to be bigger, like the future of the Force and Legacy with the kind of the return to Lothal and the search for Ezra's parents, or obviously uh, this the very end of the season with Twilight of the Apprentice, where you introduce, you know, the Vader Soka fight and Maul and things like that. Like, was it the both halves of the seasons mirrored each other very well? For sure, definitely. Now, um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. Not so I was gonna say, so the when we finish off kind of Siege of Hall with the Rebels forced to try and kind of find a new base. Um, and it also serves with, you know, introducing Ahsoka as well, who plays a part throughout the season. And we're immediately thrown into one of the few kind of duologies we got this season with uh, the Lost Commanders and Relics of the Old Republic, which mm-hmm. are the two, uh, the clone episodes, if you will. And looking back, I have to say, I was actually kind of disappointed with how Rex was played with, uh, involved this season. Um, he was often in the background, mm-hmm. and he kind of had some characterization with this kind of distrust with Kanan. But I was I wanted to see him either use more or less. I felt like he was too important of a character to be left out as often as he was, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I so I I uh, I agree with you from the from the Clone Wars standpoint. He's a big character. I think what they had what they wanted to be careful, of, just like with Ahsoka. I think I think you could make the same argument with Ahsoka as well, with the, like with the exception of the very uh, the last episode. She kind of was mostly in the background, helping out here or there. Um, so, you know, it was... Um, I, I think, yeah, the, the same could be said. Like, They didn't want to turn this show into the Clone Wars, you know, part two, basically, right? They, they want to pick up the story threads and continue them, but it really is about the Rebels and about the Ghost. And so I could see why they wouldn't want to put too much of an emphasis on characters like Rex and Ahsoka, uh, at least, not unless it's a it's a big moment for those characters. 
Uh, I thought yeah. they did a, a fairly good job with um, the Lost Commanders and Relics of the Old Republic. Um, I, I, I enjoyed having there were a couple questions in my mind, like how did they survive Order sixty six? Why is the Empire letting them kind of desert, or, or at least you know hang out in the old planet? Did they retire? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a couple couple questions in my mind around that, but um, overall, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I, I saw oh, one goofy moment is, being the the, the Zeb worm. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was those two episodes were very different thematically, or uh, not thematically, tonally compared to the first episode. And you come out of Siege of Lothal with this big, heavy episode. You know, the Empire is winning. Everything is going horrible for the rebels and the crew. And then we immediately jump into Lost Guys, like, ooh, the the war grizzled veterans. And then you've got, you know, Gregor giggling in the background. You're like, this is not quite what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think, Tom? Wow. Um, my biggest thing when it comes to this episode, I, I like having them back. And I really think when it comes to the season, again, it gets back to Darth Vader. You want to use probably the character sparingly. And they didn't want the repeat of Clone Wars because this is supposed to be the story of the ghost. It's supposed to be the story of how the rebellion started. I would like to have delved a little bit deeper in how they were able to be retired because Callus even brought it up that they were quote unquote retired, but it also gets back to how did they get those chips out of their, their head? Because you saw all three of those clones with the chips out of their head. How were they aware of it? How did they get them out of there? And how, if those chips came out, were they able to stay in retirement from the empire? Did they come out before they retired, after they retired, that type of stuff? Um, I think when it comes to Rex, Rex, unless they really wanted to downplay the Clone Wars in this, maybe they did it on purpose to have him more so in the background, or they just really didn't know the best way to use him since the stories were supposed to be Ghost, Ezra, you know, centric. Because yeah. if you start putting Rex Morso in command, <clears throat> then you're starting to get a Clone Wars aspect. And then you're going to say, well, you know, if Ahsoka's not always going to be there, then he's going to be the right-hand man like he was to Anakin Skywalker. <clears throat> Do we want to have that happening? You know, it's interesting. I, I suppose it really is a, a Clone Wars a problem more for people with the Clone Wars. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't just with Rex. You've got all these unanswered unanswer- questions with Rex and Gregor and I'm blanking on the last one. Wolf. And Wolf, was Wolf the last one. thank you. Yeah. And then you have all these, you know, we get this, we have a bunch of unanswered questions about Ahsoka as well. What was her past, you know, before coming, before coming into Rebels? And of course, what happens to her after Rebels? And the fact that they're not main characters in Rebels means that as fans of the Clone Wars, which are kind of just like, um, just one of these days, write a book or something mm-hmm. so that we at least can hopefully get some hints here eventually. Now, I know I've brought this up when it comes to Boba Fett because I was asked years ago about do I need to know about Boba Fett's backstory when he was introduced? And mm-hmm. at that point, I'm like, you know what? I'd rather keep the mystery. You know, I'd rather have the question. Then it ended up we watched. Well, now we ended up watching his backstory being developed. We saw that going through the Clone Wars. When it comes to something like this, I I want to see what's going on. I don't. When it comes to Ahsoka, 
maybe I'd rather have that be more of the mystery, but you know me, I'm the guy who likes the Mandalorians and the clones. I'd like to know how that ended up working in the mm-hmm. clones' favor to be where they are. So if that's going to be explained in a book, fine. A comic, fine. Um, I can live with it until that point. If I don't get an explanation, i got to live with it. Yeah. So the really yeah. the reality is this is supposed to be a story about the rebels. So they may save all that stuff for another time and another medium mm-hmm. to express it. But at this point, the story revolves around the rebels. And yeah, and I'm just thankful that we got. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just thinking we got the CB's characters still. Yeah, you know, and we got a little more to know more about them. And and to your point, like you know, Ahsoka stories can be told in the book Ahsoka coming out this fall and Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So they'll get these stories out here. Um, That's true. But uh, and in fairness, I suppose you know people who saw episode five in theaters had to wait you know two three years to find out what happens to Han and Luke and Leia. So we can last until the Ahsoka book at least comes out. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Who so, knows that Ahsoka book may may actually t- uh, tackle Gregor Wolf and Rex. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, possible. So, Relics of the Older Public also had this this great moment um, with the uh, the ATAT um, pursuit of the you know they, they had three ATATs pursuing the ATTE mm-hmm. uh, with the clones and the rebels through this sandstorm. Um, and this is when, you know, Ezra's kind of trying to, Ezra and Kanan are trying to use the force to figure out where to aim when they can't see. And it was a really great moment with, uh, fantastic lighting from Joel Aaron and team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to say that visually they kicked it up this season, uh, yeah, very, did. very nicely. Um, season one also looked really good, but I thought the thing that you really noticed in season one is because we were constrained to just Lothal, uh, a lot of the episodes looked very samey. There wasn't a lot of, uh, distinct visual styles whereas here is because we've got going from planet to planet to planet we got to see a lot of different types of environments all beautifully rendered and lit and the sound design was excellent like it was just a really well done and well technically done season and i would say in this case we did kind of get the clone wars out of it because the clone wars was jumping from planet to planet to planet and it mm-hmm. seemed like the more the more natural case when it came to season two since they were kicked off of lethal and they are a rebellion on the run. They have to go planet to planet. So mm-hmm. it was a natural progression yeah. for the, the story of the show. Yeah. I think if I if I had to complain about one thing, I think in terms of the, the locations, I love seeing the variety of them because Lothal definitely got old. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like in some ways, and I think it's because of the constrained budget of the show, uh, many of the locations are, I don't want to say bland. It's not like they're visually uninteresting. It's just that they are very sparse um they tend to not have like a lot of if their cities are kind of the same or or they tend to be like just giant plains you know like you know sand in every direction and that sort of thing i'm thinking like the the planet from that they're on mandalore in, uh, mandalore from clone wars where there was nothing well yeah or you know cities. the lost commanders yeah you know, lost the, commanders too it wasn't um uh, it wasn't Abafar, that's but the, that I remember they were wearing the uh, the shirt. Similar looking yeah. planet, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's very uh, sorry, Celos. That's what it was. Uh, but they're all very. Um, there's not a whole lot going on there. Um, I think they yeah. they improved that as the season went on, mm-hmm. but that's maybe my one complaint. But you have to admit, they could have done a little more. But you have to admit they've been able to do very well with what they 
god. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, and by the end of the season, oh man. Yeah. Uh, you know that that was, uh, uh, you know, the finale was probably on par with anything we've ever seen in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. So it was it was very very well done there. Yeah. Um, before we move on to the next episode, the, um, the the beginning of the season also introduced us to Phoenix Squadron, um, who uh, we didn't really see much of in in last season, but now we have this whole squadron and. Hera's in charge of it, and we have Commander Sato, and we're really kind of opening up the uh, the rebels. And it's not just the core group on the Ghost. There's a they actually have a you know, a mobile command center on, on the ship, and all this stuff. Well, and you can't forget, you know, Phoenix Squadron, the squadron that I think got destroyed two or three times over throughout the season. <laughs> yeah, boy, did they need to that is very find true. pilots. They're doing a good job, apparently. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the quality, but the quantity they they <laughs> got. <laughs> they got in spades. Uh. Yeah. So this season also was really awesome in that we really expanded what we understood about the Inquisitors as well. In the previous season, all we really had was the Grand Inquisitor, who obviously met his end in the season finale. Mm-hmm. And in the next episode, always two there are. We got introduced to the. Um, is it? It's the seventh sister and fifth brother, right? Or do I have those switched? No, you have right. I wasn't sure, but I thought that, I mean, obviously those were two fantastic characters to have throughout the season. Yeah. And and this was the episode where they go to kind of recover some, um, some abandoned supplies on an abandoned medical station. Yep. Um, and, uh, I, I believe this is the one where like, they're, they're on the, it was almost had like a, a brain invaders type vibe from the clone wars, uh, where they get to this, um, they get to this facility and it's like kind of creepy inside. Everything's abandoned. Um, I think we kind of joked that it's almost like their Halloween episode since it aired right around yeah, Halloween. That's right. Uh, but this is when we do get the introduction of the fifth brother mm-hmm. and uh, and the seventh sister, and um, they're kind of chasing him through the station. It was very kind of you know cat and mouse type episode to uh, refer to another Clone Wars episode. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so, so that one, that one was good, and it, it really kind of, um, you know, with the death with the death of the Grand Inquisitor, it, it allowed us to uh, really see there's more going on here with the Inquisitors than just mm-hmm. just the one guy. I think, and it all they did a great job of providing kind of the uh, I'm blanking on the word the reasonable threat that is not Darth Vader, someone who can chase our heroes without having to worry about the fact that they're not you know Darth Vader himself, mm-hmm. but they can still. Right. They can still and, do damage. And yeah, these guys powerful, lost but, but quite not, a bit. Yeah. Yeah, they're like powerful, but not powerful enough. Exactly. So, just to keep you on your toes. Yeah. Um, so so that, that, was a, that was a fun episode. But then we go from, from always two there are, to Brothers of the Broken Horn. I loved this episode. So we, we actually got a, this is the first of many... Uh, guest stars. I, I, I hesitate to call like Ahsoka and you know Rex and everybody guest stars because they're more recurring characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we had many many guest stars this season as well, from you know Leia to uh, in this case fan Hondo. favorite Hondo Anaka. Mm-hmm. And Honda just he delivers with every single line is like pure comedy gold. Mm-hmm. You know. And we actually get to see that Hondo's gone through quite a lot in the time since, you know, the Clone Wars. 
Um, seems like he he's lost, now he's lost everything from the. Yeah, the yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. You're right. He's you know he he no longer has um, he no longer has his ship. Uh, there's a distress call from the from the broken horn Visago ship, uh, and so that that's how they end up stumbling across this. And there's this really great dynamic between Ezra and Honda where they're um, they're kind of. He tries to convince Ezra that he's been kidnapped, and you know Vizago is being horrible to him, and he's kind of he's going back and forth this whole time. So you never really know what he's up to uh, in typical Honda fashion. Yeah, I was gonna say true Hondo. Yeah, yeah. You get Ezra introducing himself as Lando. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, that was of course, and you've got Ezra introducing himself as Jabba. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Lando Jabba. He uses all these different Commander Maluron. He has all. That's right. He was. That's right. Yeah, but uh, Tom, I think you're gonna say something. No, I, I was gonna say I was gonna say he introduces himself because that's what Oz, Ozra, Ezra always does. He introduces yeah. himself as Jabba the Hutt or whoever is able to do it at that time. So, now I'm I'm looking over Roshonos because I I must remember how how Hondo is. I like the one part. I know I'm jumping over, but I love the show note where we have written down where it's like Hondo, I'm rich. Sees the airlock, I'm dead. So it's like that. that that's <laughs> th- those. This is what made the episode so fun. And also, you got to give Jim Cummings, the voice actor, a lot of props for bringing life into this character. Because if it's not for Jim Cummings, I don't know who else could portray the character that way as a voice yeah. actor. It, it, Jim Cummings does an amazing job. You know, oh, yeah. and like like when Ezra uh, Ezra's true identity is revealed, Hanna's like, you lied to me? I knew I liked you. You know, yeah. it's just fantastic stuff. Just so uh, quick. And, and Jim Cummings' deliver, delivery is just spot on. Um, and, and so you know that's like like you said, Tom. That's the, the we get this great scene, this great fight in the uh, in the airlock where everyone almost dies, and um, eventually you know Ezra and Hondo kind of become friends in many ways, and they're able to kind of maintain that friendship throughout the I, the rest of the series. I was trying to remember, did Hondo show up later on in the season as well? Uh, yes, he showed up briefly in. Um, in the episode with uh, Zeb, uh, which was... Oh, wait a minute. Was that Blood Sister? Uh, the Call. No, not The Call. Legends no, of uh, the Lasat. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I thought... I could have sworn we saw him again, but I couldn't remember for sure. Yeah. But but then, you know, you got, now we have this great friendship between Ezra and Hondo, and they they don't necessarily trust each other completely, but they respect each other, and Hondo's almost like a... Almost like a mentor of sorts for Ezra, as horrible as that sounds. It's an interesting <laughs> he, way to put it, for sure. It, yeah, he's he's a mentor on the criminal underworld side, if you want to throw that yeah. out there. Yeah. Well, and, of the course, this episode side. also brought back Visago and, uh, for, from, you know, from earlier in the season, and as Morgan as well. So kind of all the underworld guys. Because remember we talked about how, in season one, we Visago was almost like the the new Hondo, mm-hmm. except not nearly as good. And he's still kind of a, I'm not going to call him a totally weak character. Maybe he will start developing a little bit more, but I guess because we've had Hondo for so long and because of how that character is, you can grab onto him a lot easier than, than Visago. Maybe if Hondo was not around, Visago would be a little bit stronger of a character, maybe. But, no, no, because even even by himself before um, before uh, Hondo was reintroduced, you you, you got to give him a little bit to think maybe he would grow on you, yeah, just just a just a wee bit. I don't know. 
Okay. Yeah, just thought yeah. I'd throw it out there. <laughs> so then, uh, then we move on to Wings of the Master. Uh, this was the long-awaited Hera standalone episode. Finally. Uh, yeah, yeah. We actually, yeah. Well, it's not not quite as much as we as we thought, but this is the first of two in the season, and we yeah. finally got to learn a little bit more of her backstory. And the big moment here, of course, was the the introduction of the B wing. Stephen, as our resident was, vehicle expert, what do, what what do you what are your thoughts on this episode? I was. I'm a little bit divided. Okay. I, so the B-Wing part was cool. I mean, it was impressive to see. We get to kind of see this new capability of the B-Wing, which I was a little bit annoyed by because, you know, it's not something we ever see later on in the, either the series or ever really. But as in, you know, the way they've introduced the ship and, you know, introducing being getting a Hera-centric episode, I thought it was okay. Like I said, the big issue with the episode was really that Hera was not, this was not a good Hera episode, I would say. Um, we got a little bit showing her her characterization, you know, this sort of resolve and how she acts. But we already knew a lot of those things. What we were looking for is more about who she was or who she's going to become. And I didn't think this episode delivered on either. It wasn't until, uh, what was the name of the episode? As I scroll through the list of episodes trying to find the second hair episode, Homecoming, that mm-hmm. we really got a good sense of what her backstory is and that. That homecoming was what I really wanted this episode to be, I should say. I agree with you. It was cool to see the B-Wing in this episode, but it was not the Hera backstory we wanted. I think it, I think the most we the got from her is that she said, you know, she kind of said why she wanted to learn to fly. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Yeah. That's really all we got to learn. Okay. She said, I left my family so I could fly. And she, you know, did confirm that she was a child on Ryloth during the Clone Wars. And she saw Republic ships uh, fighting to liberate her world as depicted in the, the Ryloth arc in season one of the Clone Wars. Um, and that's about it. So I, I totally agree with you. Tom? Okay, I was going to say, I, I understand that Homecoming was probably the better of the episode, but this one, I would, I, I'm going to err on the side of, this one basically set her up as, you know, she is the leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. My computer's having issues. Ah, that's why. Sorry, guys. Um, so I actually am going to defend the episode because you, you have to start her story somewhere. And this one at least gave you the history of how she is and, you know, how she is as a leader, how she likes to fly, how she can, can get herself motivated to say, look, here is a ship. I'll be the first one to fly it. Sure. They had to go to a planet to go get it. If I remember correct, wasn't there something about the planet that, um, made it difficult for people to get there and somehow they were able to yes. get there. Yeah. Yeah. So, like electrical storm or something. I, I, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a very difficult place for her to get. So that, that kind of establishes herself in this respect. So they're giving you a little morsel of her backstory before you actually get into the meat of homecoming, because homecoming is the bigger of the episode, because that's where not to jump forward, but something major happens in that episode to her or somebody she meets in that episode after so many years. So, you got to throw something out there first. And this, I think was a good setup for that episode to come mm-hmm. later. So that's true. Yeah. And, and I did like a lot of the, the references and callbacks they had to the expanded universe as well, or the legends expanded universe with, you know, with, with Shantipole from strike force Shantipole published mm-hmm. in 1999 by West end games. And uh, the, the, the Quarren that we meet is named Corey named after Ralph McQuarrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously the, the, 
the famous uh, concept artist for Star Wars. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, again, I think he really needs no introduction, but yeah. you know, just in case you're not familiar with him. Um, and so there were a lot of really good, ref- you know, references mm-hmm. and that sort of thing as well. I, I thought it was a decent episode. Uh, not quite as much backstory as I would have liked, but it was it was decent. But and this gives them the B wing, right? Right. So, well, one thing I don't think we mentioned yet is the fact that throughout the season, while there were standalone episodes, they they have just enough that they're starting to put together the Rebels Alliance with every episode. So in this one, they get the B wing. In Brothers of the Broken Horn, they got some generators out of the deal. In yeah. Always Two, there are they got the medical supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, in Relics of the Old Republic and the Lost Commanders, they got um, uh, um, uh, from from the clones. They were able to get a map of potential bases that they can use later on. So they're they're constantly getting these bits and pieces throughout the season that they'll put together in the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a way of structuring the season goes, as annoying as the kind of unconnected episodes were at times, I thought at least they weren't completely devoid of structure they weren't Mm -hmm. random like some of the episodes were in the clone wars it was just that they're not uh moving the main thread story other than adding pieces that will kind of maybe come together later right Mm -hmm. that is that is very true right now can i can i start with this one this was sure i go yeah this was the one episode the next one after that blood sisters this was the one that kind of bothered me when it came to ezra (laughs) okay okay because I I, okay. I will say this and breaking the fourth wall here, I did throw this on my show notes that I think out of all the episodes, this is probably the worst characterization of Ezra where he's trying to find. OK, he's sitting in a total spaceport, walking up to people, saying the secret words of. Oh, that's OK. It's a long I remember this way now. to Alderaan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. So for yeah. those who don't remember, he was supposed to meet um, a contact, and the secret code phrase was, it's, it's a long, a way, long to way to Alderaan. But instead of, like, finding the person he thought was it, and then, you know, once he was pretty sure saying it's a lot, somehow working it's a long way to Alderaan into a sentence, um, he just walked up to every single person in the spaceport and said, it's a long way to Alderaan. It's a long way to Alderaan. It's a long way to Alderaan, right? You know, and it was just a little bit over the top. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by a little bit, you mean a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing that was fascinating about the whole thing, the payoff, once that was said, ended up being a droid. And was it was it he sat on the droid or was it Sabine that sat on the droid when he was just like, you know, however he said. I believe he was. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the droid pops up and is like, oh, my. Oh, gosh. Maybe we should have, in so many words, the person we needed to contact was a droid. Well, Hello, I don't know. It's just it, it was it was a fascinating episode. It's like oh, that was just fascinating. But it also gave more of a backstory in this case for Sabine. That was a good catalyst for that. The Sabine episode. Yes. Yeah, it didn't start off well, but it kind of ended better thanks to this the uh, what's her name Katsu. So we're introduced yeah, so to the Katsu, Mandalorian Katsu. Katsu. Yep. Yeah, Katsu Onyo is here, and we find out that she's uh, Sabine's blood sister, not. Um, not actually, um, not by not blood, actually, yeah, not, by blood. not by blood, but they, yeah, it's, it's like blood they, brothers. They call them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they, we find out that they, they both went to the Imperial Academy as cadets 
and they eventually escaped and became bounty hunters. And now they both wear Mandalorian armor and like to spray paint symbols on the walls. And they were good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also like explosions, so you can see how the two get along. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I, I feel like it would have been nice to get a little bit more backstory from her at this point. Um, but it was definitely better than what we got from uh, from Hera in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this this in this one they they go to. Um, uh, they end up going to the Mandalorian base, and uh, yeah, I think it was um, no, not Havoc Outpost. That's where they they rendezvous. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting I'm getting the the episodes confused. This is not yeah. the one where they go to the Rebel base uh, and she tries to blow up the ships. This is that's later. Oh yeah, you're talking um, Protectors of Concord Dawn. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry right. about that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so th- this is the one with Ketsu Onyo where um, she eventually she's on the ship and I think she she basically betrays them, right? And Chopper has to be the one to come in and, and save because Ketsu threatens to blow up Sabine if she doesn't hand over the gonk droid mm-hmm. that they they found at the beginning of the episode. Um, and so Chopper basically has to sneak aboard the Shadowcaster and disable her weapons. Um, and he ends up kind of being the hero in, in, in this episode. Mm-hmm. And at the very end... Um, we get Ketsu Onyo kind of standing in the airlock with Sabine, and they, they actually kind of make up and, and become, I wouldn't necessarily friends again, but Sabine said she forgave Ketsu for the past. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Ketsu's whole attitude changes, and she decides that, you know, she, she just doesn't actually want to, she doesn't actually hate Sabine. But it also gives them an ally because she does show up later during one of the battles. Because Katsu right. does come back. Right. So, as as you were saying, William, how they're starting to build the rebels. Well, this is another way they're starting to build it. Not only getting the supplies and the ships, but they're also making contacts like this. Exactly. So, yeah, it, Ketsu Onyo. Piece. She she joins effectively joins the rebels. She comes mm-hmm. in and saves the day later on. And we also get some secret information from the droid EG eighty six, which will prove useful later on in the season as well. So. Um, definitely uh you know starting to again bring all these bits and pieces together yeah of course then we go to stealth strike what did you guys think of a stealth strike this was a this was kind of a fun one where uh kanan and and ezra dress up in um stormtrooper armor and try to infiltrate a base if I remember correct, there is yeah. some good banter between Rex and uh, Kanan, right? Yes. Yeah, I seem to recall that was the kind of the highlight of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember as well. Again, I'm going through the show notes. Like, well, first oh, this off, this is the the interdictor episode as well, isn't it? You're right. Yeah. I think it was. That was that was the big thing for me in this episode is the introduction of the interdictor, a famous kind of EU ship. And. and uh, I'm trying to remember, Stephen. Uh, I, th- I think you had a couple quibbles with it. Was that was that right? Or there, were, I had a happy? couple of quibbles. I, so look, uh, it's a complicated <laughs> question. I, there were a couple of quibbles because I seem to recall that the uh, gravity wells had some very weird behavior. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was that they did, but they did something weird that was didn't make sense to me. I'd have to go look. Let me go look up the summary real fast, and so I can recall. Um, it does one thing correctly, which is pulling the ship, uh, Sato ship, out of 
the oh it's okay i remember now sorry okay it correctly pulls Sato's ship out of hyperspace. Awesome. Good job. That's what mm-hmm. they're supposed to do. There's also another scene, kind of the end of this episode, where they, like, overload the interdictors so that they then turn and crash into... It, like, pulls other ships toward them and they explode. That part I could have done without. But, but there was a bunch of ships destroyed and it was part of the story moment. They had to get away somehow. Yeah. Well... Oh. What else do you expect? I know, but it, it was—it was another. It was this for me. This was kind of the quintessential episode for uh, season two. For I should say the your average episode, mm-hmm. uh, enjoyable, but a couple of weird moments where it's like that seems a little bit off. I wish you had done something slightly different there. Okay, I'll agree with you with that, but you have to admit there are times. In this episode, you have to love where Captain Rex, or Rex actually says, because it, cause the, the whole thing was, Kanan does not trust Rex. He has to work with Rex, okay? So right. you're sitting here going, look, Kanan is you know, not thrilled he has, he has to work with it because you know, that's because he's a stormtrooper and Rex comes back, or somebody comes back and says, no, he's a clone trooper. So basically they're setting up stormtroopers and clone troopers are different. And it gets mm-hmm. much better because... And I have this written down. I really wish I could remember exactly where it was stated, but it must have been Rex's line saying, I would never have been on their side or wear their junk armor. So Rex knows yeah. that the Stormtrooper armor is just so much worse than Clone Trooper armor. I mean, it's, well, it also makes it hard to see. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> I mean, geez. Because that, wasn't that brought up earlier in one of the other episodes to where Rex even made a comment about seeing through the helmets? Oh, I think it was this remember. one. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, it, it was actually really, really great how he's like, yeah, these are so much harder to see out of. No wonder these guys can't shoot, uh, which which was enjoyable. There was, a, there was a lot of little moments like this. I mean, I thought this was a enjo- very enjoyable episode. Mm-hmm. Not terribly um, impactful in the long run, but, um, but you know, it, it really did feel a lot like, you know, the Death Star scenes on A New Hope. And you could, you could argue that it played on our nostalgia a bit too much, but I still really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. That it was a it was a great fun episode. Well, it was also great to see the the play off of each other from Kanan and Rex. And then in the end, they were able to bury their issues. And Kanan now figures out, you know what, I can work with Rex because hopefully at this point mm-hmm. he realizes he's not the stormtrooper anymore. He is a clone trooper, which there is a difference, especially when it comes to the helmets, <laughs> because Rex can shoot. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yep. Exactly. So. Then the next one, this was uh, a little bit like, uh, kind of reminiscent of a, of a few Clone Wars episodes, but uh, the future of the Force saw the fifth brother and seventh sister attempt to steal younglings from um, from various parents, Force-sensitive children, uh, to use for nefarious purposes. And, uh, of course, the crew of the Ghost go in to, to rescue them and, and try to save all these, these younglings. Yeah. This, this was this was one of those in which it kind of it shows you how the Sith worked in respects to the Jedi. The Jedi basically, if they knew your child was force sensitive, they're not just going to go take them. It appears mm-hmm. in this case, the Sith would actually, or at least the Inquisitors, are going to go take the force sensitive child, regardless if the parents, you know, know or not, the child's gone. So I mean, it 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 gives you that 
Well, what am I looking for? The juxtaposition. Yeah, am I looking for juxtaposition between the two? Well, anyway, it's one of, those right. episodes, yeah. so one of the one of those words. Yeah, it's it's close enough to it, but it wasn't a bad episode. I think there was another one of those episodes in which Ezra, I'm trying to look for it now, sticks his foot in mouth again, where he gives information. Again, I think that's most episodes. Yeah, most most episodes, but I think this was where one of the droids from the seventh sister overheard something because he just like again spilled the beans. I think it was the. Uh, was it the apartment where they went to go get the second child? Oh, the one thing I do remember about this, didn't Zeb get stuck with the kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was a great moment. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Zeb and, and I think Chopper as well. And we, we got the return of the, the Tuka doll from the Clone Wars um, and, and parts of Rebels. A nice little cameo there. Uh, but to your point, Tom, the, the Zeb Chopper and, uh, dy- and baby dynamic was mm-hmm. was fantastic. Where, you know, Zeb's basically holding Pipey, uh, the young um, uh, the, the youngling, and he's trying to take care of him while fighting off the seventh sister and, and the fifth brother. And we get this, you know, kind of these chase through the through the buildings as you know, they're you know throwing uh, stabbing their lightsabers through the walls. Mm-hmm. I think they were. Crawling through the the ventilation shafts again, a Rebels, and I guess you could say Star Wars staple at this point. Yeah. Um, and then we get the speeder chase, which ends in uh, Ahsoka arriving and pulling out her two silver lightsabers for the first time and defending the Rebels. Um, uh, and they're, they're able to escape and, and make it off the planet safe and sound. Mm-hmm. Not much more to say about the episode. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that... the, I think the big part here is they, the the rebels or sorry the the inquisitors listen here over here Ezra's tape message about going to Garel, and so that's how they're able to track them down. That's what it was. Them. Yeah. Yeah, that's what. It was. Yep, unfortunately. Yeah. I think we had a couple examples of that where they just happened to get lucky and overhear something and you know, yeah. led them to the rebels. It just keeps moving the story forward. True. It's a bit convenient, but you know, yeah, I, I can live with it. Yeah. Some, you know, do it once. That's okay. Do it two or three or four and more times. And you start to notice and be like, Hmm, maybe we should do, maybe you should look for other solutions to your story problems. Mm-hmm. True. True. Yeah. And then we get to the mid season finale called Legacy. And this one, uh, originally titled The Secret of Prisoner X-10, um, introduces, uh, kind of actually closes the story on uh, Ezra's parents. And we're introduced to the governor, um, writer, former governor of Lothal, Ryder Azadi, voiced by Clancy Brown. Um, what do you guys think of this one? Any, th- any thoughts here? This was, I think, my most disappointing episode of the season. Really? Okay. There was, so we got to find out a little bit about Ezra's past and what his parents did, what I thought was cool. And there's this big buildup on who the prisoner is and what his role is and how he's going to play, you know, into the season and what he can reveal about Ezra, Ezra's parents. And it's just, it's the governor, the, the former governor of Lothal, and he was in prison and he escaped and... That's about it. There, I felt like it was a lot of buildup for no payoff. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, 
I, I kind of agree with you there, Stephen. They they were able to pinpoint. The, it was kind of cool. They had all these you know nameless, faceless prisoners in a list, and Ezra using the Force was able to pinpoint prisoner X ten, who was less rest on Lothal right. for treason, and they were able to track him down. Uh, he thought he says he sees a vision of his parents. Um, he's having multiple visions in this episode, mm-hmm. and so you know they go to they go to Garel trying to rescue um, this guy who might know something about Ezra's parents, and it turns out to be the governor or the former governor. And they rescue him, but it kind of doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, we, we find out that uh, he was looking for Ezra, but Ezra found him first. Mm. Um, and that uh, his parents, he, uh, he, he worked with Ezra's parents, the Bridgers, against mm. the tyranny of the Empire and was accused of treason as a result. Um, and he informs Ezra that, yes, your parents are dead. Um, they apparently heard Ezra's message at the end of season one, you know, the one he, he transmitted across the galaxy. Um, they heard that from within prison and were inspired enough that they, you know, kind of basically did a, a, a prison revolt and broke out of prison. Um, dozens of rebel sympathizers were able to escape as a result, but um, they split up during the escape and did not survive. Ryder was able to escape, but not Ezra's parents. And so we find out that yes, they are dead. Okay. And that's kind of it. I mean, there was, there was this whole, um, kind of this B or C plot, you know, will we ever meet Ezra's parents? And it was kind of a letdown just to find out that, yep, they're dead. That's it. End of story. Do you also think maybe one of the things that made it fall flat is this governor didn't want to do, anything at this point he basically just wanted to hide he didn't want to join the rebellion he wanted to it seemed like he wanted to stay far enough away from it he just wanted to tell ezra this is what's going on and basically just leave me alone at that point yeah and eventually we kind of he kind of came around slightly i think he, came but around he really didn't so want to... the next episode yeah but he really didn't want a whole lot of involvement yeah he just it i think for me that's probably why the episode more fell flat other than yes you're chasing the <clears> thing about ezra's parents are they dead or alive but it just fell flat because here you had a guy who was a governor who could be a natural leader. I want nothing to do with this. Just leave me alone. Oh, look, you know, next episode. Now the, now you brought the empire back on uh, down on me. So here I go again. You know, so. Right. Mm-hmm. It is. So it was kind of a downer. Way it, to end it was a lot season. of stuff that didn't pay off. Yeah. 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 But, you know, the the week later was just, was the um, was the premiere of the Force Awakens, so we, we kind of had other things in our mind at this point anyway. Oh yeah. And when we got back from the the Christmas break, we dove straight into a Princess on Lothal. This one was was a lot of fun. Tom, what did you think of the introduction of Princess Leia Organa? Well, young Princess Leia. Didn't go too well with Ezra, if I remember correct, because she just started. Oh wait, was it Kanan? Well, it didn't go over too well, because she basically just started, you know, giving orders, and they were like, "What?" And then we'd find out in this episode how she's actually helping the rebellion in the in the most roundabout way, uh, without getting herself in trouble, um, because she was able to give them. Three ships that, if I remember correct, were from Legends or from a video game that they, they were from Knights of the Old Republic. Thank or you. Inspired the Hammerheads. By, yeah. For, yeah, for the Hammerheads. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. 
but we were able to follow along on how she's how she's able to help and still be part of the rebellion rebel alliance so that was one of the nice things about this episode um the the earth magnet things on the um I'm, I'm remembering little bits and pieces as I go along here, so please bear with me. <laughs> the the little earth magnet things on the um, landing struts was an interesting concept, if I remember yeah. correct. Because if I also remember, the gentleman who, or the Imperial officer who met her on the landing platform kind of said, there's always a tendency when you show up, ships around you just start disappearing. <laughs> so to prevent that from happening in this case, we're going to lock these three down. Mm-hmm. Yep. One I, of I the think things, those are the Stephen. Go ahead. I was gonna say one of the things I really liked about this episode is it was one of those pieces where it's where they fill in a little bit of backstory to one of the movies without kind of without it that being the sole point of the episode and without it being too crazy. So the movies, Vader says, you know, you worked on any mercy mission this time, mm-hmm. and this and this is the episode where it's like, oh, this is one of the mercy missions she was on. This is what it looks like. This is this is what she was trying to do. And uh, I it, it just the. That adding that little bit of backstory, I thought, is just perfect. Yeah, it it's something that works really well for this type of show. Yeah, it didn't harm anything that was already said before. It just added to what was stated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what I, that's one of my favorite parts about this episode is just the fact that not only were they able to introduce Princess Leia, and yes, you know, you could quibble about how or maybe her voice isn't you know, a hundred percent identical or something, but I thought, you know, they did a pretty good job. Yeah. I thought it was, uh, I Julie thought Dillon it did a, did a, did a very good job. And, um, you know, I, I love like the subtle inclusion of Leia's theme throughout the episode and everything, but most importantly, as you said, and I don't want to just repeat everything, but I did like how they explained, you know, how Leia is able to help these people and yet still be a, you know, a member of the Senate, and not get suspicion turned on her, and so she has this whole, um, this, she has this whole routine, and she she's able to plan how to get resources to the rebels mm-hmm. without making it obvious that she was behind it, which is just so great. And and yet another example of resources that the rebels get that they're able to use later on in this mm-hmm. in the in the season. Um, so th- this was fun, and kind of see the the rivalry between Ezra and um. And, and Kanan and, and Leia, which was which was a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah. it's weird to think that Leia is the 16, the same age as Ezra at this point. Wow, that's very very weird. Very weird. Yeah, yeah. but this this was this was fun. As you said, our writer ends up kind of coming around. Um, but uh, most of this episode was just how do you steal some hammerhead ships from the from the empire or for at least from, from, from Leia. How does Leia fake the, you know, fake having these ships stolen? Mm. Yeah. And we got some nice AT-AT action again as well. So. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a fun one. It was definitely a good start to the second half of the season, I think, mm-hmm. which was then followed much. up by another episode that I was kind of disappointed by, which is the protector of conquered Dawn. I feel like, three episodes in a row that were kind of on the more disappointing side. I think, yeah, I, I, I think uh, the one after was more so for me. Yeah. So protective conquered Dawn deals with the rebels interacting with, uh, the Mandalorians. And this is 
when we look at the title and the history of Conquer Dawn, I think we were all hoping this would be the the classic Mandalorian story, pre uh, you know episode or not episode pre Clone Wars Mandalore. And I thought it was doing a the episode was actually doing a really good job up until about the last five minutes. Okay, go yeah. on. Yeah, I don't go know on. if you remember. So we've got this, you know, story where they're, you know, they arrive at Conquer Dawn and they're attacked by the Mandalorians, and then uh, because they're looking for a base for their fighters, as I recall, or some sort of base, or no, they're looking for passage. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. And so they, you know, they've got their plan and they're working on it. And so Kanan and Sabine go, and they've got these deferring ideologies about how to deal with. Uh, the Mandalorians. Kanan wants to talk to them. Uh, Sabine wants to blow things up. And, <laughs> typical Sabine. Yeah. yeah. Typical. And then, you know, Kanan ends up finding out that this guy is, you know, an old veteran from the Clone Wars and they're talking. And Sabine starts blowing stuff up. And then there's a brief fight. And then they leave. And he's like, yep, yeah, well, here's how it'll go. I surrender so you can get clear passage. And it just kind of ended. Like there was, they were building up this big kind of conflict, and it just—I felt like they didn't either. They didn't pay it off appropriately, or just—I don't know. It just—it didn't work for me. I just mm-hmm. miss the old Mandalorians. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I think that's... I think that's one of the things it's tried to do, though, is kind of work them back in, right? And then they they explain how there's different houses, and you know, we find out that Sabine is from Clan Ren, which is part mm-hmm. of House Visla, right? Uh, so not only is she a Mandalorian, she's from the bad side of the Mandalorians, effectively. Uh, and that's why yeah. they, the protectors basically call her Death Watch, a traitor. Okay, um, but, but how big are these houses? That's the thing. If you go back, and sorry to be harping on this, you go back to the Clone Wars and you go back to the Mandalorians that are the pacifists, that mm-hmm. was almost like half the planet. So is that whole half the planet that house? Yeah, so there's, there's two main, I believe... There's a I, maybe there's only two. There could be more, but there's at least two major houses, uh, may, maybe a few others. But it, it's a significant portion of the Mandalorians. It's part of House Vizsla, um, and I think the other one is there's this House Vizsla and House, um, not not Kree's, but it's part of the. Um, uh, I, I can't remember the other name off the top of my head, um, but but yeah, you're right. I mean, Tom, these are Mandalorians are poor. You're talking Satine's area. Yeah, right? Satine's. Satine. Right. It was. I mean, her I mean, her last name is Kreez, but I don't think it's House Kreez. Um, I think it's something else, and I'm I'm, I'm sure our listeners are shouting Bo- it at me. Is, is it also if I could hear you, I would. Sorry. What about Bo-Katan? No, no. Uh, okay. Bo-Katan is part of um, House Visla. Okay. Um, I believe. And I thought that uh, was all speculation that the two of them were going that if Clone Wars continued, that may have, may have been sisters or something like that. So. Yeah, and that that could be. That that could be true. I'm trying to remember, but uh, yeah, it's been so long. Yeah, the rumor, it's, yeah, it's possible that Sabine's mom is actually Bo-Katan because she was in the throne room when Previsal was killed. Mm-hmm. We know oh, yeah. Sabine's mom was, so you know you could have that that connection there to the Clone Wars. But that, that's uh, <laughs> so many episodes ago and so many podcasts away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so dealing with this now, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it was it was an interesting episode. Um, I was a little bit disappointed by some aspects of it, but other ones were, were still enjoyable. Uh, but it did kind of happen quickly. They're very sudden reversal at the end. Yeah, it kind of put a sour note on the on the episode. I will I will say my standard line at this point: 
it moved the story along. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. sorry, you can't. I, I, you can't I make know. that excuse. I know it's it, it's the hardest thing to say in some cases when it comes to an episode to where it's like it lays flat, but it's still in some aspects there are some things that help it move the oh, story along. I mean, no story is one hundred percent bad. Oh, right? absolutely. There, it's always going to have some. Um, there's gonna be some something good in it, right? Mm-hmm. Even Darth Vader had some good had some good still in him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. To make a even uh, Padme saw uh, it. Yeah, but you know some episodes are just better than others. Um, that one happened to be mostly enjoyable, except for the end, which I was a little disappointed by. Uh, in the case of Legends of the Lasat, mm, um, uh. it was it was nice <laughs> to have some Zeb backstory, but I feel like this one really just was uh off the confusing yeah so so star wars uh the star wars tv shows in particular will occasionally go off in these more mystical uh episodes that is a good way to describe it yeah uh you have you you got like episodes with the uh the night sisters or with mortis or with um even um you know, there are some 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 interesting mystics, some, some more one offshoots, one uh, one and done episodes in the Clone Wars. Legends of the Lasat was just, I was very disappointed in the in the execution, because we find out that Zeb is not the last of the Lasat. He runs into um, some more of his kind, and uh, who are actually named after. Um, uh, no, so they're not named after the Dark Side of the Force, but they're um, it's Gron and, and, and Shava, I believe. Uh, and they're looking for Lyrasan, the original homeworld of the Lasat. Of course, Seb doesn't believe them. He says it was destroyed. Yeah. Um, and so they basically go on this this journey, and, and Shava performs this ritual to find Lyrasan. And she says that Asha, the spirit of the galaxy or of the Force, has brought them together for the prophecy which states that the Lyrasan will be found by the three, the fool, the warrior, and the child. Um, of yeah, course, cue uh, jokes about who the, the fool, the warrior, and the child are, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and it was totally confusing. Uh, the weird thing is, like, I don't know, the, the staff turns into this, basically, this has this power that, uh, Zeb, Zeb's, Zeb's weapon, his, his uh, honor guard's, um, uh, his honor guard weapon, basically has this unknown power to it, and it becomes effectively a staff that leads them uh, to the planet. It was all just really weird. I don't feel like they explained it at all. Like somehow the ship, this 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 weapon with this mystical power, was able to take control of their ship and ha- fly them to this planet that no one has found before. No, no, no. You, no. William, are forgetting the most important part. They are approaching a black hole. Oh, yes. When they yes. fly through the black hole. <laughs> that that yeah. is correct. Just, no, that's correct. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. It felt very convenient and contrived, and it was just okay. I I think I think with this episode, I think with this episode, what made it even more confusing and also did not make sense is wasn't there a line toward the end of the episode where Hera says, or Zeb says, "Now we know how to get back." Right, and like you didn't you didn't know how to get out of the first place. Yeah, and and, and also like pull out your staff. Yeah, and then on top of that. Are you going to take the rebel fleet there? Is the whole fleet going to be able to get behind this staff 
and make it through there. Because no, if I remember and... correct, they were being chased by uh, a Star Destroyer. The Star Destroyer was being pulled in. Callus was almost going to follow and turned away. Right, because they were all they were dying. Going... Right. He thought they were yeah. all going to die. Yep. Ugh. It was, I, I think... It was a troubled we, episode. Yeah, we put this in the show notes, too. It was it was definitely kind of more Star Trek-ish <laughs> in many ways. Um, yeah. I just wasn't a big fan of it. And, uh, you know, once they finally do get to Lyrason, they get to the the home planet, basically. Zeb's or the, or the new home planet of the Lasat. And they find out there's, you know, all these uh, Lasat on the planet. They're still alive. Zeb's not the last one. And what does he do? Leaves. He goes down, drops him off, comes back, leaves. Like, yeah. and it you wasn't, don't care about your people at all? It yeah. wasn't just that. It was that we didn't get to see it as well. Yes. Yes. It, just, it yeah. makes it... The payoff isn't there when it's like, oh, we found the lost planet of the Lasats. His civilization isn't dead, but don't worry, we're not going to show you any of it. And we're only going to show you two of them from within the ship. They're going to go down to a planet. Zeb's going to come back all over. All yep. happy. All happy, though, yeah. because he knows that he's not the only one. And he can go back and visit at any time. Yeah, it was somehow. just yeah. I, I I like Zeb as a character. I wanted to like this episode, but it it just wasn't. It was probably my least favorite episode of the season, and um, which is which is too bad. It's it's really too bad. Uh, the one saving grace, we got a ha- cameo from Hondo. He came back in a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. He's in part of the episode, and you know as we talked about earlier, Hondo brightens That's up any right. any episode. And, yeah, Star. Yeah. yeah, and then speaking of Star Trek like episodes, we get the call. Yep, which is basically um, I don't remember the name of the Star Trek film, but the one with the whales. That's basically <laughs> oh, it. Star Trek: Voyage Home. Yes, thank you. I mean, yeah. it's a little more. Uh, I think that's doing a Voyage Home a disservice. But okay, go ahead. It was go, do go but, on, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead. It was close. Go no, ahead. it is the the sole purpose of this episode is for Ezra standing on the edge of a giant space whale with his lightsaber held high. That's really what this episode was driving for. Okay, but wait a minute. I thought the real reason for the episode driving this direction was to, to show get people fuel where or something like that. Well, no, I, I was going to say to show people where actual hyperspace hyperdrive came from. That's right. That yeah, also bothered end, me. Because yeah. weren't and they... again, there's... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's like, uh... I mean, the episode did well, have yeah. its moments. It, it was, it was, in some cases, kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, you had the introduction of the Pergel, um, the, the, the space whales that Hera absolutely hates. Uh, they go down to this... To destroy. Yeah. They, uh, they go... They find this Tabana Gas uh, mining facility. I think it was Tabana Gas, right? Um, well, it was a mining operation that didn't have a lot of people defending it, if I remember correct. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. It was a uh, Clauson 36 refinery, not Tabana. Clauson 36, uh, but it's still a gas refinery. And they decide to go down and try to steal some of the stuff, and that you know creates this giant fight. There's this very um, two-dimensional uh, boss, gang boss, basically, who um is in charge of the of the facility um yeah 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 it was just it was a one-dimensional episode yeah i feel like it's it's kind of hard to talk about at this point because there wasn't a whole lot aside from the fact that they're you know space whales and we find out that they can jump into 
in the light speed. Yeah. Yeah. In the hyperspace. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, there's not a whole lot you can say about it. No, right. no, but you can say a whole lot about the next episode when it comes to homecoming. Yes. So this one I liked. This, this was, one was good after string of bad episodes, I thought this one was the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And it really kicks us off for the rest of the season as well. Yep. Yeah, it did. I mean, you get the return of Kamsamdula, which happens to be Hera's father, and a Clone Wars legend. So, mm-hmm. and you got to see the interaction between the two. And something really cool happened, um, and I'll call this out, because it's the voice acting of... Oh, God, why do I forget her name? It was right there on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Hera's voice actress, Vanessa Marshall, on how yes. she all of a sudden slid into that accent when she was having mm-hmm. the argument with her father. That was just outstanding. Really cool how yeah. they did that. And and I, I have to point that out because it's what I pay attention to, other than this was a great episode all around. But that little... No, you're, you're, you're totally things. right. She, she was able to slip into that yeah. French accent because all the... All the uh, Twi'leks ha- have a French accent in the Clone Wars and, and other Star Wars properties, and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she was able to slip back into that when she's so frustrated, just mm-hmm. like you know, someone who who goes home and starts their accent starts to come, yeah, you know, be you know, start yeah. to they start to hear it again. It's just fantastic. Yeah, which really added to the episode, made it really, yeah, really. Cool. And we had the return of Wax, uh, uh, sorry, of not Waxer and Boyle, but Numa, who the tw- young Twi'lek who was we- rescued by Waxer and Boyle in mm-hmm. the Clone Wars, and. Um, and also uh, Gobi Glee was one of his Champsindilla's finest warriors um, and, and just the dynamic between Kanan and Cham you know it was almost like you know uh, you know meeting the, the girlfriend's dad for the first time or something um, which was some, some nice moments there how, how nervous Kanan was mm-hmm. yeah and we get lots of Hera backstory which is what we did not get mm-hmm. in uh, the uh, in the B-Wing episode, but we did get it here. We find out a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, how, you know, Cham was a hero in the Clone Wars, but once the Republic became the Empire, he started fighting the Empire instead, instead of the Separatists. Uh, Hera's mother was killed in the resistance against the Empire. Um, after the de- after her death, Cham became obsessed with freeing Ryloth from the clutches of the Empire. He stopped caring about pretty much anything else. And uh, that's when Hera finds Chopper, uh, uh, during the Clone Wars and how, how they, um, you know, become a pair. And, uh, you know, Cham basically scolds Hera for wasting her life, devoting herself to lost causes. And it, uh, one of the things I really liked about this episode is we got to see two points of view on kind of Cham refusing to join the rebellion and Hera wanting him to join the rebellion. And a lot of times it's kind of like, oh, Cham just, you know, the character who doesn't want to do the thing that we all know is right is just being unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, as Tom, you like to say, it's the little hand-waviness and, you know, just move the plot forward. Here I really yeah. felt like, you know, we've got two characters on opposite sides who have reason to not trust each other and have reason to have different points of view. Like the fact that Cham, you know, did everything in his power to free Ryloth for the Republic and then have it turn around and be subjugated by the Empire, like, I don't blame him for not wanting mm-hmm. to join the Rebellion. And I lo- it was just, it was a great example of a good episode. The way you kind of bring these characters together in a natural sort of uh, disagreement instead of kind of having to force it. But I think the best thing that made the episode was it was a father and daughter. It wasn't like mm-hmm. two friends. It wasn't, you know, 
it wasn't like two clones. It was a father and daughter that had this issue, which yeah. that really showed how they were able at this point, their relationship be damaged. Yeah. But of course, by the end, they have a heart to heart and, you know, they kind of reconcile a bit. He realizes that, you know, he reveals that he was heartbroken when, it, when Hera left. And he realizes that he's, you know, she's a dreamer a lot like her mother. And he finally calls her Captain, Sind- you know, Captain Sandula and uh, that, that he's proud of her. And they kind of reconcile a bit. And I think the, I want to call out specifically the editing in this episode because it felt a lot longer than 22 minutes. And not in a, not in a bad way, you know. Um, it was just really well done where it, you didn't feel like they were racing at all to get through the, everything. Well, mm-hmm. to me, that's a sign of a good episode is if you can watch it and not feel like you're watching a 22-minute episode. Or if you go back to Legends of Lasat or you go back to the one with the whale song, if it's, <laughs> if it's a slow story, even if it's edited well, it's painful to watch. But an episode like this, if it's edited well, you just get so wrapped up into it. You're like, it's over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Now, the one character we haven't really focused on this season so far, really that much, is Agent Callus, right? He was right. Uh, a big um, antagonist in season one, and he's obviously around in in season two as well. But finally, in The Honorable Ones, we actually get some backstory for Agent Callus. And yeah. it's kind of a, a, a fun episode with Zeb Another Zeb backstory episode as well. Zeb and Agent Callus basically get stranded on this moon above Geonosis. And, um, you know, the, a very interesting dynamic ensues. Mm-hmm. Stephen, what, what were your thoughts on this? This was an, another fantastic episode. And I, I seem to, I think we had Aaron on for this episode, as I recall. Because didn't we talk about this being kind of a retcon for Callus's backstory? Yes, yeah. Yep. It was yeah, a so yeah, friend of the show, Aaron Cal- Goins, was yep. on this. Yeah. And in the first season, you know, Callus is, you know, he he destroyed Lasat personally and, you know, it was all part of his plan. And this season's like, oh, no, I was just kind of there fighting and, you know, I, I got knocked out. And after it was all said and done, somehow, like, they decided to make me the, you know, big hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little upset by the that change. But on the other hand, it, it made for a fantastic episode. I loved watching, you know, the two of them. For, uh, the two of them being Callus and Zeb, forced to work together until to escape and survive, and the the little touches at the end to know that like they're still on opposite sides, but they respect each other. I thought it was just perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in this case they respected each other as the warriors that they are. Yeah, you know, and that yeah. that's the one thing I I do remember the note in this. This was reminds me of the 1985 movie titled Enemy Mine that had Luke Gossett Jr. and I cannot remember the other actor in it, mm-hmm. but it was the same thing. It was an alien and a human stuck on a planet, and they had to learn to work together. And they weren't on the planet for the short amount of time that Agent Callus and Zeb were on, but they were they had to work together to survive. And Agent Callus, you have to wonder how much at the end of this episode is he going to change going into season three? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you, we really didn't get. I don't think he really appeared in the rest of the season. No, I think this was I don't really. I think this was really the only episode in which you, if he only appeared in other episodes, it may have been minor bits, 
but this is the one in which you actually see him in the episode from beginning to end and be basically callous. But when it got to the end of this episode, you really have to wonder with this experience how it's going to change him going forward. Mm-hmm. Right, because, you know, they, they start as like mortal enemies in this episode. And by the end, and it doesn't feel rushed, but by the end, no. um, you know, Zeb is actually urging Callus to come with him and saying, you know, hey, you'll be treated fairly if you mm-hmm. join us. And he, he turns him down and decides to wait for the Imperials to show up. And so he kind of hides. Um, and, and Zeb walks back to the ghost. And I think he even... I think he does he even, turn around and even, Doesn't he even lie to the rest of the ghost and say, you know... Oh, I, be- I believe he implies that there's no one else there or something right. like that. Right, when, when, when Callus is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ghost leaves, and uh, Callus is, is on this, this moon by himself. And we find out later... You know, once he's once he is finally rescued by the Imperials, that um, I think some some um, independent travelers. Ah, that's what it's in the original script, at least. Callus was picked up by independent traders um, since the Empire's allotted time to find Imperial officers had expired. So basically, like, yep, we're gonna find we're gonna search for you for you know a couple days, and if we can't find you, sucks to be you. Uh, you're you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And uh, he. That was just in the original script. We don't see that in the episode. But in the episode, we do find out, yes, he's he is rescued. We don't really know how. But Admiral Constantine doesn't even really acknowledge, uh, you know, Callus or his, his greeting. Uh, and it, it kind of ends in a somewhat depressing way in mm-hmm. many ways. Uh, Callus just places the meteorite that Zeb gave him on a shelf. And he's just staring at his sparse, sterile room, um, you know, kind of wondering what he's doing meanwhile zeb is back home on the ghost surrounded by all of his you know family and getting hugs and everyone's very happy to see him back and so the the contrast there is you know very very stark and you kind of feel bad for callus and he doesn't really have anyone that that cares for him yeah doesn't really have a family it makes me wonder where he's going to go in the next Mm -hmm. season because they're definitely they're doing something with him yeah without a doubt i mean it sounds like he won't be so callous anymore. <laughs> Even Peel saw that coming. Yep. Yes, he did. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, we are not done. Oh, <laughs> I have, know. Because I know. We have four um, we're getting into the home stretch here with Shroud of Darkness. Um, this was a this was a interesting episode here. Um we uh, we go back to Lothal again, and uh, I think this is the one where the uh, yeah the this was a very very fun episode. It's all coming back to me yeah. now. Uh, Kane and Ezra and Ahsoka end up returning to the Jedi Temple on Lothal to find out how the Inquisitors have been constantly tracking them. Right, because at every turn the Inquisitors are there, and uh, we end up getting kind of this three pronged story. Uh, Kanan talks, kind of goes and sees these visions with um, some temple guards. Uh, Ezra talks to Yoda, and Ahsoka talks to Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Which which was your favorite, Tom? Okay. Of the three, first off, first off, I have to say this: I did like a line when you had Kanan and Ezra raising the temple 
mm-hmm. and it goes further than the last time they did it. And it was just like, I think Kanan turns to, I mean, Ezra turns to Kanan and says, a different door. And it, Kanan's best line was, new problem, new door. <laughs> okay, I love yeah. that. I love that because it's true. You have, a, yeah. you have a different problem. Why go through the same door? So the temple basically gave them a different door to figure out how to solve the problem. Now, when it comes to story out of the three, I would have to say my favorite one has – oh, God, this is so tough. Um, I, I Flat out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say exactly what I was going to say. Then it's going to be the Canaan story. I would mm-hmm. say all mm-hmm. three of them equally are very entertaining, very involved – and very grabbing stories. Um, but Kanan was the first one that came to mind when you asked me that question, William. So that's the one I have to go with. Because if I think about it, then I would say all three. But I liked it because of the revelation that ended up happening at the end, knowing that the, spoiler alert, Grand Inquisitor was once of the Jedi, was once a Jedi Temple Guard. Mm-hmm. And he but, was with Barriss Offee during the trial and everything. Yes. Uh, yeah. That was such a shocker to me when when the temple guard pulls off the mask and you find out that it's actually the grand inquisitor. Yeah. It's such a great moment. Yeah. It's a, it's a great moment, but it also for me at that point, kind of, it kind of makes Kanan a true Jedi master Mm -hmm. because at the end of that, where you, where the grand inquisitor, well, let's just say the, the, the grand temple guard now, because he really wasn't the inquisitor at this point. But the Temple Guard basically knights him at the end because mm-hmm. Kanan realizes he can't be there for, for Ezra at all points. He can only train him the best he can. And if he ends up failing to a certain extent, so be it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is that, you know, because he was fighting these Temple Guards and the Temple Guards about ready to strike the killing blow. And suddenly he stops instead of, you know, decapitating him or whatever. He just puts his lightsaber right over each shoulder and knights him just like in the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars series. Yeah. You know, where they say, by the right of the council, by the will of the force, dub the I do, you know, Jedi. uh, with the exception of dub the I do, the exact line was even reused in this episode, which was just fantastic. Yeah. Um, so no, I, Tom, you are totally right. I thought this was a fantastic, uh, a fantastic moment for Kanan where he finally becomes that Jedi Master because he, he, he never got to finish his training. Um, and, uh, and we get some great revelations as well. Steven, do you have a, a favorite I, moment? I, I did, and then we started talking about uh, Kanan's, and now I'm not sure. I think I'd have to give it to Ahsoka's, though. Oh, okay. This, the, her con- uh, mental confrontation with what she remembers to be Anakin Skywalker and mm. what he's become, I thought was incredibly well done and sets the stage nicely for the end of the season. Because mm-hmm. I believe that's what he thought. He says, you know, Ahsoka, why did you leave? You were selfish. You abandoned me. You failed me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I've become? And we, we get his Anakin's appearance changing to Darth Vader and the horrified look on Ahsoka's face. Now, which is so fantastic. And I, 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 go, go ahead, Tom. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm going to go back to the end of season one. Do you think what the end of season one where she had that vision when she was trying mm-hmm. to probe who the Sith was in that uh, TIE fighter, do you think at that point she knew who it was, but it was at this point in the temple was the the the, the straw that broke the camel back and she could accept that that was him? 
Yes. Well, um, I think she she had a suspicion right in the first one. Uh, Dave Filoni actually even addressed this at the at one of the, the screening of the the season finale where he says that um, in the season premiere she felt this inkling and she had this like bad feeling, and she then spends the entire season trying to confirm it, mm-hmm. trying to say like. It, it can't be. It can't be, right? Right. Um, she doesn't really... She's in denial the whole time. And finally, in this episode, it clicks. And she finally kind of comes to that realization that, yes, you know, her old master is one of the most feared and hated beings in the galaxy. And that's when she finally comes to that realization. And it, and it just, you know, destroys her in many ways. Yeah. Um, so... Very, very, very sad. Very powerful moment as well. I love mm-hmm. that one. And then, of course, we had the 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 storyline with Ezra and Yoda, which I think is is less impactful in the long run. We had the Macquarie style Yoda vision here, yeah. uh, and he talks to Ezra, gives him some advice, tells him, you know, um, you know, kind of warns him about, you know, how. At the the war the Clone War warped the Jedi and, and who they were, and how you know fighting isn't necessarily the right path. Um, and then he tells Ezra to go to Malachor, right? And and that's when he vanishes, and that kind of sets off the, the the final few episodes in motion as as they try to find Malachor. Uh, and of course the temple star. Oh, and I forgot, and the temple starts to fall apart, and the 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 temple guard the grand master uh grand inquisitor. sorry the grand inquisitor grand master yeah. that's you the grand inquisitor um and the rest of the temple guards actually defend somehow i'm not sure exactly how they do this since they are uh visions in some way but they're able to defend the the temple again uh defend against the fifth brother and the seventh sister and um and then that's where the episode ends with vader's appearance and saying, you know, that the Jedi are growing in their power, and Vader says, that will be their undoing. Mm-hmm. But I think you and answered... What? Your, well, I was going to say, I think you answered your own question, William. I think that basically it was the Force Visions that were messing with the Seventh uh, seventh Sister and Fifth Brother because it was the first thing they see is the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, and they're like, wait, what? How are you yeah. here? What the heck? Why are you fighting me? Yeah, so it, it, it they were basically, it was the Visions that were messing with them, and that was able to let... Kanan, Ezra, and uh, Ahsoka bail and get off the planet. So, yeah. That's my two cents. That was a great, great episode. Yeah. And it leads so perfectly into not the next two episodes. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Good point (laughs) on that. That that was my biggest issue with the season is like, oh man, Ezra's got a mission from Yoda. We're going to have this big showdown between Vader, the Inquisitors, and the Jedi. And oh, never mind. We're not going to do that for a couple weeks. Sorry. In fact, in fact, let's do a chopper-centric episode. Yep. Who doesn't which, love droid buddy cop episodes? Which okay, as far as droid okay. episodes go, this was pretty good. It was as, a it was I, a great episode that was in the wrong placement. I enjoyed Chopper. I totally agree with you, Stephen. It was the wrong placement. Okay, D- I, uh, can I just defend this for a second? I agree it was in the wrong spot, but do you think that maybe? They were trying to give fans of the show a bit of a breather before they got into the heavier stuff when it got no, just just, 20, just go for it at that point. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it, it, 
I'm, I'm going to go with the thing. We've got to give them a lighter episode before we get into the actual heavy stuff. I mean, sure, it could have been placed anywhere within the times, time frame. My, my, my one complaint, though, is that it didn't... I mean, it, it kind of made sense in its placement because uh, ultimately they end up randomly jumping into hyperspace and finding a base that they're going to need in the next episode. Mm-hmm. But the, the, these two definitely kind of... They kind of fell out of place uh, just because... You you get the mission you get the mission from Yoda go to Malakor and what do they do? They now go to Malakor. They decide to go, you know, pick up some supplies on the Yo system. They need some they needed some fuel for the ship. Uh, so they go pick up the fuel, and while the rebels are this is actually an interesting way they did this right while the rebels are on their mission and Ketsu Onyo is back helping the rebels, um, we get to see Chopper is told to stay behind and the rest of the episode takes place from Chopper's point of view. So in the background, we actually get to see the rebels, you know, running back onto the ship and taking off. But Chopper, who wants a, a new strut, new leg. Well, he wants the uh, matching leg because he was able, he found yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. He sees one from a vendor. He goes over. He tries to steal it. And while he's in the middle of stealing this this leg, the rebels hop on their ship with the fuel and fly off stranding him on the planet which i have to admit that was one of the coolest things to see because you got to see them escape in the background this time instead of actually being there during the escape right so i i did enjoy that aspect yes but um i was a little bit disappointed just in the placement now we did get this great dynamic between chopper and ap5 an inventory inventory droid working for the empire Yes, which was yeah. a, if I remember correct, that was a nod to Mr. Alan Rickman. Uh, uh, oh, I the meant, voice. No. The voice. Sorry, no, no, that, that was different. Uh, no. This is Athena Portello. Right, uh, sorry. AP5, yeah. My bad. Yeah, AP5 is named after producer Athena Portello because she happens to be five feet tall. Um, Got it. It's, and it's the other droid he meets later. Sorry. Yeah, uh, no, this, so this, this droid probably is a, a, a homage to uh, Alan Rickman as well. But... Um, mm-hmm. Named after Athena uh, Portillo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we get these droids trading war stories. We found AP5 was part of the um, part of the uh, he was he was uh, in the Clone Wars serving on uh, I think over Ryloth as well, wasn't he? Well, uh, I think he was a navigator droid before he was yeah. the before he was a supply droid. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You were you were 100 correct. Uh, and we kind of get this this nice arc where AP5 tries to overcome his programming, and instead of turning Chopper in, they they work together to uh, to escape the Imperials and, um, and this this Imperial ship. So they kind of take it over. They take they take over the bridge. They fight off against the the cat the unnamed captain. He never gets a name at all in this episode, which is pretty unusual for Star Wars. Um, and this is when they they eventually rendezvous with the rebels while they're you know uh, under fire, and um, AP five is able to give Chopper some coordinates for a safe planet. He's able to cross reference the list of uh, abandoned bases that the uh, that the that like Rex and Wolf and Gregor provided with the Imperial databases, and was able to find a place that's not um, currently occupied by the Empire. And based on AP5 and Chopper's intel, Hera and the entire Republic fleet jump into hyperspace, risking everything on these two droids. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. I mean, it was 
do you guys have any other thoughts on this episode? It's it's um, it was a fairly straightforward episode, I thought. Yeah, I enjoyed AP five quite a bit. I enjoyed yeah. the dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just too bad that I get why it's placed where it was, but it it, it felt strange having just you know had all this build up in the in Shroud of Darkness to go to the Forgotten Droid. Mm-hmm. And then of course we get the mystery of Chopper Base. Uh, so now that they're on the planet Talon, which they randomly jump to, we get a spider episode. Yay, Yay. my favorite type of episode. The, the Krikna. <laughs> I know, you love spiders, Stephen. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the, the Krikna are based on the Macquarie concept art of Arachnids on Dagobah. So they're, you know, they're, they're pretty cool looking. Um, but this whole episode is just about how do we defend against these spiders on this planet and keep the this new rebel base secure. Well, it's about it. It was, yeah. <sighs> it, it, seems I, it was another one of those episodes that was just a little bit frustrating to get to. Like what? I want to get to the, the episode that would be the finale. Like, this is an interesting story, but why do I need to hear it now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the, one of the, the biggest, I mean, there, there were some nice moments to be fair, mm-hmm. in in this, like you had, uh, you got you had a nice moment between Zeb and Ezra, uh, kind of before Ezra leaves, because the main thrust of this is Hera knows that Kanan and Ezra have to go to Malakor, uh, and they they clearly haven't left yet, but she's kind of wanting to prepare the rest of the rebels for that. So they're they're trying to they're trying to like live their lives without the Jedi helping them every step of the way. So when they split up, they don't have a Jedi go with each group. They have the Jedi go together, and they kind of go by themselves, try to make sure they can they can survive. There's like a, a nice little goodbye moment between Zeb and Ezra uh, in the episode, you know, because this is this is the last episode this season where we see most of the crew, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hera and uh, Sabine and Zeb are all not in the next episode because it's just so action packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we get that goodbye between Zeb. And uh, and Ezra, where you know Zeb's listening to his classic rock, um, enjoying his his, his drink. Okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, not particularly eventful overall. No. no. Yeah, a solid episode, just at a weird time. Yeah, yeah but then. But then yeah. The reckoning. Yeah, here we go. Here we go with the one that really sets season two onto a very interesting path going into season three. Mm -hmm. So you've got Ezra, Kane, and Ahsoka. They actually arrive at Malachor, and it's a seemingly dead homeworld of the ancient Sith with a temple there. But they realize they are not alone because they end up crossing paths with somebody from the past and then their fates are going to be destined to change from this point forward. Yes, this is the big one we've been waiting for. Darth Maul. Yes. Uh, yeah. I loved the way they used Darth Maul in this episode. Mm-hmm. I loved, loved, when I say episode, we actually mean two episodes, right? Yeah, Wild I, I think, is a two-part. Well, yeah, we'll just, we'll just talk it as one episode. Yeah, because especially because you know it, they aired back to back on the same night. Tom, you and I went to the screening in in yes, Burbank. Yes, we did. We had a friend um, of ours who was able to get us in there, which was thank you, very cool. Yeah, 
and uh, it, it was awesome to see it in the theater itself. But uh, I, I love this episode. We talked about how, I think earlier we talked about how the visuals were so great in this episode. Uh, we got Malachor, and we got to see the what looked like the, the scourge of Malachor with all the, um, the, the dust or statues, effectively, it, of the Jedi like- and the Sith. It's almost like the you, you could say it reminded me of like the Pompeii bodies. I guess you could say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it was it, it was like very much like uh, the Battle of Rusan in the uh, in the Legends universe, combined with um, uh, combined with the uh, Scourge of Malachor. So like the events of Kotor two merged with um, uh, uh, the Battle of Rusan, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And you know the mass shadow generator and everything, um, but just the way Darth Maul played with everyone's um, minds—you never really know—is he good? Is he bad mm-hmm. at this point? Like, because Maul was always bad, mm-hmm. but then he kind of gets betrayed by everyone, even his masters, multiple times, and he's now on his own. And you're thinking, well, maybe he does want revenge on these Inquisitors, right? I, I could see how that could be the case. Mm-hmm. And so you never really know, and he's just messing with Ezra the whole time. Yeah. Steven, did you what did you, what did you think? It was it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was trying to come up with a better way to describe it. Uh, did, did you think he was it, gonna um, he was he was gonna betray Ezra? I mean, I thought it was a guarantee. I mean, this is Maul we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know Fair what enough. else you would expect. Okay, but he wasn't going to betray Ezra. He says at one point, my apprentice, he was going to basically pull him in toward the Sith ways. And one thing I have to say, watching the episode, I love the slow transition of Darth Maul because when you first see him, he's like this old grizzled man with a cloak on him and a cane. But you slowly, as you pay attention to him, it seems like he's slowly getting stronger and stronger and stronger and more and more manipulative, manipulative as he goes along. Mm-hmm. And you can hear it the way Sam Whitworth did the character as well. And the way he was animated. It, and until it really got to the point where it's like, Darth Maul's back, baby. And this is how I am. And boy, am I going to take you down regardless of who you are. Yeah. Oh, it was brilliantly done. Oh, yeah. And we get the, the introduction of the eighth brother, a Trellian Django jumper, just like Cassie Cryer in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, you know, Inquisitors all over with their nice spinning um, lightsaber blades. Which Steven, I think bizarre. you love that, right? Oh, yeah. My favorite part <laughs> of the episode. The I, one downside, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't just that. I think if I watched the episode again, I thought you actually heard helicopter blade sound effects when yes. they were. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was, yeah, that was, that was. Yeah. Uh, but that was, was one minor thing, minor. Right. But the whole the whole time, you know, you have this very fascinating dynamic between Ezra and Maul, and Maul's like using and twisting all the the Jedi and Sith teachings to hit his liking, and and Ezra's starting to go along with it, and it's almost like he's turning to the dark side. Tons and tons of of carnage. Um, the many of the uh, the Inquisitors die. I think. Maybe one survives, or do they all die? No, I, th- uh, oh God, I think I they all remember. die. Well, this is where we, um, lost, we lost the fifth, uh, seventh sister. The seventh sister did die. I think yeah. the fifth brother died. And it wasn't and by I, the hand of Kanan either. That right, was I think the eighth, 
Yep, Maul killed him. Yep. I think the eighth brother died. Uh, anyway, it was just just fantastic. Uh, Maul was basically like the creepy, the creepy version of Yoda. Um, and they they grab this holocron, take it up to the steps of the of the temple to unlock what they think is knowledge, but turns out to be a massive super weapon. In yeah. typical Star Wars fashion. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, though, Kanan goes up against Darth Maul finally when Darth Maul reveals, or not Darth Maul, just Maul now, reveals who he truly is. And he attacks Kanan like crazy and blinds him. What seems to be permanently blinds him. Now, I pointed this out in this episode, and I'm really hoping, as they've always said, within Legends, there is just a little bit of truth. Mm-hmm. I think... It, well, Kanan is blinded, but he so reminded me of Rom Koda from uh, mm. Dark Forces. Dark, uh, yeah, not Dark Forces. Yeah. Yeah, what am I thinking? Uh, the, for, the Force Unleashed. Force Unleashed, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I hope they carry that concept through. I know that he's not going to have the regular army of soldiers that Rom Koda had because Rom Koda during the Clone Wars didn't trust clones. That's why supposedly he was able to survive. But I think he, and I hope he's going to have that kind of stature as Rom Koda did. Because I thought that's really uh, cool. I really think yeah, that's cool. That yeah, yeah. I, I think he will. I think yeah. he, he does He does definitely have that Rom Koda vibe. Yeah. yeah. Both in appearance and we'll, we'll see demeanor as well. But yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. It, it's going to be interesting to see how they're handling him next season. Which everybody's going to be at Celebration Europe. You'll be able to see it before we do. So you mm-hmm. are lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if the uh, the big reveal they're teasing, and we'll, we'll get to that later, but so I don't want to talk about it just yet, but what if it's revealed through Kanan's eyes or lack thereof, so you don't actually know who it is? <laughs> <laughs> That's just mean. Uh, but um, the big moment, of course, is... When uh, the temple's going off like crazy, uh, Maul ends up getting knocked. I think he's knocked off the side of the of the temple, right? Kind of, I believe so. Yeah, out, yeah. out of the picture. And yeah, Kanan uh, has to get Chopper's help to to get up to the top. But the big moment, the one we've all been waiting for, Darth Vader arrives and starts to attack Ezra. And that's when Ahsoka walks into the room. And we finally have the confrontation between Master and Apprentice. And the one what? we've been waiting all season for. And really, if you think about it, we've really been waiting for this confrontation for like, I don't know, a uh, couple uh, years. Almost a decade, eight yeah. years yeah. or so. Yeah. Ever since Ahsoka was introduced, we knew something like this would have to, you know, there'd be some sort of showdown. Mm-hmm. And we got a nice we got a nice lithograph out of that, didn't we? We did, we did. but um, I loved the way they handled this. Oh yeah, like, Vader's power, Ahsoka's. Uh, um, uh, yeah, she was very uh, you know, nimble and able to jump around like crazy. Well, her athleticism. Uh, thank you. Her athleticism. Yeah. Um, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, it's just an epic, epic fight, and definitely pays off on the years of waiting. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we yeah. get the imperial hints of the imperial march with a mix with the Soka's theme, it's so good. Yeah, and neither of them got away unscathed. 
There was mm-hmm. there was damage to both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, the the first part, the first piece of damage, is when Ahsoka she runs in and is with her lightsaber, her little Shoto, I think it's a blade, right? Uh, takes out uh, half of his mask, mm-hmm. and he's standing there. And you can see the face of Anakin Skywalker underneath the shattered Darth Vader mask. And he's able to stop her with inner tracks with a single word, Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, credit to Matt Wood and the, the Rebels sound design team. They perfectly blended James Earl Jones, Jones's voice with Matt Lanter's. Uh, obviously, you know, Matt Lanter, the voice of Anakin in the Clone Wars, and James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader. And you have the wheezing here. And you you hear both both actors uh, d- dialogue you know, laid on top of each other, so you get a little bit of, of both. And you know, Ahsoka says, "I won't leave you, not this time." And Vader says, "Then you will die." And they lock blades as the temple walls close on them, mm-hmm. and then explodes. And then the mystery ensues of what happens at that point when you see basically three separate endings. Well, no, I'm sorry, four separate endings at this point. Right? Yeah. Or did we see Darth Maul? Go on. Okay. You see one, Kanan basically blinded like Rob Coda. Mm -hmm. Two, a wheezing Darth Vader coming out of the temple. Three, a certain point of view where you have Ezra inside his room on the ghost with the Sith holocron. And I know these are out of order because I'm saving the best one for last. Yeah. <laughs> and the fourth one. Oh, and, 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 and with Ezra, it's oh, not clear whether he's, yeah. he, you see the red in his eyes and is that a shadow from the holocron or is he turning to the dark side? That's true. And I, wait a minute. I think the fourth one, we do see Darth Maul escape, right? Yes, we do. Okay. So that's four. And then now the fifth and final one, we see a doorway of the temple. While it's all falling apart, and you see the silhouette of what could be a Torguda? Torguda? Oh, it's definitely Ahsoka. Well, but walking. I, okay, I wanted to put the mystery in there. I didn't want to just flat out and say, okay, it's Ahsoka <laughs> walking into the doorway while the temple is falling apart. True. Yeah. So, what did she survive? Yeah. Is it is it a is it a vision? That's the big mystery, right? We don't know what happened to Ahsoka. Do you, what do you think? We, I, we talked about this, and guys, we're, we're going through this very quickly. So if you want to hear our full thoughts on each of these episodes, definitely go back and listen to those. They're, they're all up on you know, your favorite podcast client and on um, StarWarsReport.com. But, uh, so we, we spent two hours dissecting this episode. So if you really want to learn more, listen to that. But do yeah. you think Ahsoka survived? Is she dead? Is she alive? What happened? Because clearly Vader survived. Well, Vader had, Vader had to survive. Right, obviously. Yeah. And and if Vader did survive, clearly, would he let Ahsoka walk out of there alive? It depends on how you define alive. That's, <laughs> that, that's it. I mean, alive by way of she can walk freely the galaxy and not have to worry, well, not have to worry about Vader, which we know is not going to happen. Or alive by way of you're banished to live in the temple meditating for the rest of your natural life well i just think vader is known for breaking people mentally Mm -hmm. 
I would not be surprised if he has broken Ahsoka in some way as well. Enough that he no longer feels she's a threat. That could be true. And, and he could... knows enough about her that if anyone could do it, he could. Yeah. And that could cause him to go into the temple and meditate for years on end. Mm-hmm. The quest is, is that is what we see of her, uh, a force vision of her, you know, um, why is, is it basically her going and becoming one with the force? Is she actually alive, but just walking back into the temple? Is she stranded on Malachor? Um, so many, so, so many, many questions. questions. And the, unfortunately, or I mean, depending on how you look at it, this is not Ahsoka's TV show, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, we will not find out what happens. Dave Filoni basically said, this is the last you see of Ahsoka in, in Rebels. Um, well, I thought he said that there, the way her I... Her story's over, right? Was that, well, he, he said there's more to her story, and we'd have to see if it makes sense to tell it in the concept of Rebels. Right, or that's true. Okay, I think you're right. In, that's a better way in, of phrasing in what, it. In whatever medium we can use to tell that story. And Correct. like where he brought them into the show in the first place, it's about making sure it's the right medium to tell it. Right. Exactly. Or the right the right story. If it doesn't make so, sense to bring Ahsoka up just for Ahsoka, then they won't bring her back. Right. So her story isn't over, but it might be over from the Rebels' standpoint. If it makes sense, they figure out a way to bring her back, they will. Otherwise, they'll tell her story in some other way. Okay. But then, but then now we have to have the question of this. Is her story over at this point to where any story they bring up that they feel they need to tell will be at some other point in the Ahsoka timeline. But for her as a character, we know she's not in episode four. So is this the defining chapter of Ahsoka will not be around from this point going forward, but any story is told backward in that timeline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see more stories from Ahsoka. I mean, we're gonna get the book that's gonna tell what happened to her between Rebels and right. the Clone Wars. But yeah, it's probably over right now. So yeah. that was a fantastic episode. So much like we 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 skipped over so much in not only Twilight of the Apprentice but the entire uh, the entire series because you know we're trying to summarize twenty two episodes into just a, a two hour uh, a two hour recap. There's no way we can talk about everything, but like I said, no. definitely go check out our past episodes if you want to learn more. Um, but boy was uh, I think the season had its ups and downs, yep. but um, well, every season's going to have its ups and downs. I mean, you, that is true. It, it, it comes with any show. That is very true, but I think it ended on a high note. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we uh Get into our thoughts, or is there anything else you guys want to talk, discuss? No, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm Let's pretty do good it. with it. Okay. Tom, you want to go first? Um, you put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, I think, oh God, I think as a whole, I'm going to give the season a 7.5. Okay. Um, I think that's fair because of the ups and downs the season has had. I don't think going higher... Um, yeah, a 7.5. There's no other explanation for it. I think just, just how I, I stated. It's every show is going to have their ups and downs. It was solid. It had great episodes. It had downers. But a 7.5 to me seems like it's it's a good good rating for uh, season two. 
really looking forward to season three. Yeah, so, me too. Uh, who wants to go next? I'll go. Okay. Um, yeah, I think. Oh, uh, oh, Tom. Yes. Wait, hold on. You can't go. You can't end your oh, your rating without a God, womp rat. Oh my God! I forgot the womp rat. How could I forget the? We haven't podcasted in how long? See what happens when I don't podcast. This is what happens. A week. A week. Oh, it has been a week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, boy, am I on vacation already? No, I'm not. Um, I am going to take my 7.5 womp rats. Oh God, what am I going to do? I'm going to use those 7.5 womp rats as bait for those worms on the planet. Where it, no, yes, bait for the worms <laughs> on the planet with Rex decisions, and decisions. Wolf and Gregor. They're going to be the bait for those big worms. If not, then they're going to take those 7.5 womp rats, and all three of the clones are going to take them and barbecue them out back on the grill. Done. Nice. All right. Yeah. Suitably brutal. Uh, incredibly brutal. Either way you look at it. Yeah. All right, William. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well. Uh, okay. So th- I think this episode, the season, <laughs> not the episode, the season was. I think the, the beginning was fantastic. The end was fantastic. The middle, I liked how they started grabbing bits and pieces throughout. You know, the, uh, the things they would need to establish the rebels. Um, the storylines were a little bit more self-contained than I would have liked. You know, the you can definitely say like, oh, hey, that you remember that that fuel they got there helped them in this later episode and that sort of thing. But that was about it. You could really watch them in any order, and you wouldn't really notice that much of a difference. Um, so from that standpoint, uh, I wish it had been a little bit more of a you know um, a serial style uh, instead of you know. A, you get the idea, right? I, I would have liked to have a little bit more of a continuation of the story through through every single episode, but still, it was very enjoyable. We got a lot to learn a lot about the different characters, and the, the season premiere and the the finale alone made up for it. Um, I think it definitely delivered on everything we've ever wanted with Ahsoka and Vader, um, and I cannot wait to see where they go in season three. There's going to be a lot of exciting stuff. So, mm-hmm. with that in mind, I'm going to give it eight and a half Womprats. And uh, I'm going to um, my, my eight and a half Wamparts are actually part of Hondo's pirate band, and um, when I say pirate band, I literally mean a pirate band. Very nice, uh, because Hondo, I'm sure, has a they're, they're a band of pirates who play music. Um, so the Wamparts are part of his pirate band. Actually, I believe Jim Cummings does play in a band, so that's very fitting. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go, Stephen. Yeah. So let's see. I think you both kind of nailed it on the head, William especially. I thought it was a decent season. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. My biggest issue is that all the ep- many of the episodes were standalone, and as a result, we had some episodes that were great and some episodes that were bad. And on the whole, it is, I enjoyed the season, but it's, it, I, it felt like it was missing something. It could have been more, I think I would say. Yeah. Um, but I think they've also set up really well for season 3, and I'm really excited to see where they take it. Um, but with my 7 out of 10 Womp Rats, I'm just going to say I'm going to throw them behind me and let the uh, Krikna spider monster things eat them while I run as far and as fast away as I can. Fate worse than death. Exactly. Yeah. Which also includes death. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. and, yes. and you can also make sure you throw them over the fence now that they figured out how to keep them away. So that's another way to do it. Perfect. Yeah. So... Awesome. 
Um, I think uh, briefly maybe take a quick look at season three since there's not a, a whole lot we know yet. Uh, Filoni talked about it a little bit. I think we said we were going to postpone it and talk about it in this episode. Yep. Um, we don't need to spend a ton of time, but the big one this week, and we did, I did not put this in the in the news, so because um, I, I wasn't sure. We, we kind of want to talk about this a bit. I didn't want to spoil anybody. So if you don't want to know anybody, anything about season three, stop now. It's we don't have like any official information. This is all speculation, but just fair warning. You know, if you don't want to have any uh, spoilers or discussion, stop listening now. And thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. But um, otherwise, we're gonna briefly discuss some of our uh season three um theories so the big news dave Flynn this week tweeted a photo of the spine of a book um and uh this book spine is um you know it's the uh, black with the star wars logo in you know your your typical gold it's a little bit of a um uh uh Kind of a worn. It's distressed. Look, almost distressed. Yeah, it's, it's Thank distressed. you. I, you know what? I don't know what to read into this. I, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I saw this, and I'm, I know people are just like, "Oh my god!" I think they picked out where it's coming from. Look, it's a distressed Star Wars logo on the spine of a book. Okay, that's all yes. I see. That's all I see. I mean, yes. it could be a color wise. Is it orange? Is it red? So, so here's what Filoni says. Go ahead. Right after they announced, uh, he he tweeted this right after they announced that um, the, uh, the the first two episodes of the season would be airing at Celebration Europe. Mm-hmm. So Filoni tweeted this saying, "I'm looking forward to seeing all of you at Star Wars Celebration Europe 2016." And remember, there's always a bit of truth in legends. Now, uh, friend, our friend of the show, I think it was Pete actually who did this. Pete Morrison um, did a little digging, and lots of people did. And that spine of the book matches very, very closely with the spine of Heir to the Empire. Now, one of the big, long-standing rumors is that none other than Grand Admiral Thrawn will be making an appearance in Season 3. And we've, I think we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But this tends, assuming it is Heir to the Empire, and I think it very well could be, this tends to add a lot of, lend a lot of credence to that rumor. That he says, you know, there's always a bit of truth in legends. And... Uh, You've got, um, you know, the the spine of Heir to the Empire, which introduces Grand Admiral Thrawn. That would be fantastic. That would be, you, you know me, I would love to see Thrawn. I think when we were looking at the uh, Rogue One trailer, I had the Grand Admiral. I was hoping it's Thrawn, really wanted it to be Thrawn. Until somebody tells me it's Thrawn, a spine of a book that's orange, that says Star Wars, that's distressed... Still it's a it's a pretty unique looking. Uh, I know it's pretty unique. Looks fine though. I sadly don't have it by me to sit there and go. I believe it's going to take me time to dig to find my copy. If yeah. I did, I'd be sitting there saying, "Oh my God, it's going to be thrown." Our, our our friends though who did the research, I I I tend to believe them. Okay. So I I, I think it very well could be them. I could be. Uh, I am Thrawn. hoping it's Thrawn. I want it to be Thrawn. I think he needs to be in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. So that's extremely exciting. We also know that Maul will be back because he did survive. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think there's some quotes from Filoni here. He says, 
I believe this is from the screening we went to. He said, we tend to lean more towards Maul being the foil on the darker side of the force for our heroes in the next season. You'll see more of Maul, which I think is a great thing for the show. Um, going on, I'll just kind of keep quoting Filoni here. He says, season three introduces some titanic differences from the other seasons we've had. You're going to start to see the struggle of the rebellion take even stronger shape. We've been kind of scaling up that up every season underneath the character development, but it's clear by A New Hope that the Rebellion has gotten pretty organized and a lot larger than the Empire thinks it is. So one of the ideas running about is that there's a group within the Empire. You, you see this, you kind of see this portrayed in A New Hope in the Imperial Fleet when they say these rebels are a threat. And then he says, to your Starfleet, not to this battle station. So there's a division within the Empire about how dangerous the rebels are. We need to get this, um, kind of get up us up to earning that. So you're going to see a bit more of an increase in what the Rebellion is. We're also going to delve more into the Mandalorian's backstory and Sabine. Tom, Ooh, you're going to love this. Thank you. Uh, Sabine's story will grow greatly in importance in the third season, and she kind of ho- comes up to stand uh, next to Ezra as far as being an important player on the show. So she isn't as much of a supporting character as a, as a, as a main character. It's going to be a great transition for her. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Very. So both of those are very fascinating. We're going to see the Rebellion take uh, a larger role. We're going to see Sabine become a, a major character. Um, Filoni also says we have rebels figured out all the way through the end now so even if things change along the way you know, he knows exactly what where they're headed and then uh, the last big point was uh, referring I think to Theron here he says something big is going to happen that I think people really really want and I know that I've wanted it for a while and we figured out a way to do it it's in a very important it's a very important moment in Star Wars and an important moment for Star Wars fans actually longtime diehard Star Wars fans so it's going to be something that you'll definitely learn more about at Celebration coming up because I'm going to talk about it specifically. So I do believe that is Thrawn. I think so as well. Has to be, has to be, has to be, has to be, has to be. Please. Please. Yeah. And, so. then, and then can we please get the Mandalorians back where they belong? Like from the books? They – so I, that's that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Tom, right? They, they had this – they kind of went on this one path with the Mandalorians and the Clone Wars, and um, it, it was a very interesting detour to take, right? And it adds more depth, I think, to the Mandalorians. They're not just this warrior race. They have this warrior race with this internal struggle. But it, it, it was an interesting take, but for me, it was still a little bit too left field for them. To be that much of a pacifist, pacifistic society, you know, and to... To start out, and even they said it themselves, a warrior society to all of a sudden to go that extreme, even though they did have the Death Watch and the warriors that were supposedly banished on the other part of the planet or yeah. on another moon. But still, to be that extreme, just I, – I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So – Well, we will definitely see more of we'll them. So I'm excited. I mean, yeah. More so thrall, more more maul. More Mandalorians, Thrawn, a bigger, uh, we, we think, uh, a bigger presence for uh, Sabine. Sabine, Sabine um, obviously a bigger presence for the Rebels in general. This is a pretty awesome, shipping to be a pretty awesome season. And that's, that's, that's before all the other big surprises we don't even know about yet. Yep. Celebration can't come soon enough until all that information comes out. And even then, there'll be so much under under wraps. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So with that, I think we're uh, we're done with this 
epic two-hour episode. Um, we do love our two-hour episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, but you know what? There was a lot to cover. Mm-hmm. So was- we'll be back. Um, we might take a couple weeks off. Um, I know I'm going to be moving. Um, we have a lot of other things happening, travels, etc. But we'll be back um, with our review of uh we're not quite sure yet we'll, we'll figure that out if there's something yeah. you want to hear us <laughs> you send it to us um, facebook we're us. on yeah facebook twitter um uh, all that stuff's in the uh in the closing uh of course find us on ioncanoncast.com and yeah. uh, we want to hear from you what, what were your favorite mo- moments in uh in this season you know let us know so and that with that i think we'll uh Head out, and we'll be back uh, sometime in the near future with another episode. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away, including Rebels, the sequel trilogy, spin-off films, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncannoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in touch with us by emailing contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions expressed on this show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans for fans and is copyright 2016.